Uh, this month, <clears throat> we are beginning a new series of messages uh, that deal with the family. This will be family month at Bethel Church. And so it's important that I think you invite your, your, your family, your friends, any of those people, uh, husbands, wives, you want to try to attend this together, uh, uh, people who are dating, even uh, with the eye towards marriage, this is going to be a good month for you to attend. And uh, we're going to deal with family relationships. Uh, today, we're going to deal with marriage God's way. But uh, next week, we'll be talking about when my family isn't perfect. You know, amen. Anybody here in the perfect family? Now, every husband in here should have said, yes, of course. I'm in a absolutely perfect marriage. No. <laughs> But we're going to be talking about talking about the family. So there are various scriptures that we'll be looking at as we navigate this this uh, series in dealing with the family in the month of January. There are five Sundays this month, and we'll be dealing with with the family each Sunday this month. So also, before I go any further, I want to take this opportunity to wish everybody a blessed New Year season. I hope it went well for you. Let's praise the Lord for that. Amen. The Lord blessed us as a church to finish 2015 on a very high note uh, with our Christmas Eve services. Altogether, through our four campuses, we had nearly 4,000 people attend Christmas Eve services. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful thing. The gospel was preached and Jesus was worshipped. You know, that's how we ought to do Christmas, when Christ becomes the most important thing in Christmas. And that's what it's about. We celebrate Christ. And so even as we think about that, as we think about that, going forward this year, I would love to see us having more, even more emphasis on Christ and who he is, that he may increase so that we will decrease in our own personalities and things like that, that our lives and our hearts and our minds will reflect Jesus Christ. Are you willing to do that this year? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So as we look at this, this series on the family, you might ask the question, why should we do a series on the family? And there are three reasons that I just want to share at the beginning here as to why we do this series on the family. First of all, family relationships are biblically defined. Family relationships are biblically defined. What does it mean to be a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, even a grandparent. And these roles are the foundation of any healthy society. God's word gives us a blueprint for what and how these roles should function. The church, the believers of, in Christ, are called to embody these as not only a good practice, but also true and grounded in the unchanging character of God. So we're, we're called to embody this, to live these roles before the world. 
And I said that, that these roles are the foundation of any healthy society. And when you look at the shape of our society right now, is it not incredibly important that we understand what God says the family should be? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. The family has become so distorted in modern culture. And you ask, why should, we, why should we do a series on the family? I think it's very important that we as believers know what God's blueprint is for family relationships, how to, how to interact with one another, how to glorify Christ in our family relationships because the world will not teach God's blueprint. Not only will the world not teach God's blueprint, The world is diametrically opposed to anything that reflects the glory of God. And so family relationships, we we, we need to talk about them because they're biblically defined. The other reason that we need to talk about family relationships, because they are sinfully distorted. And that's kind of what I was talking about there. They're sinfully distorted. Uh, In all of my years as a pastor, I can tell you hands down, the number one counseling uh, subject that I've had is family relationships. Number one, hands down. You know, I've dealt with people being dissatisfied with, with, you know, being in a certain ministry or, you know, they didn't sing my song on Sunday past. I don't know why, but, you know, and all of that. But number one, hands down, is my husband is getting on my nerves. (laughs) My wife is irritating me. My kids don't know how to behave. My children, if I could auction them off, I would. You know, number one, hands down, that's, that's, that's what we hear. And so, and so relationships in the family have been distorted so much, so much trouble in marriages and family relationships. Also, anybody, if, if you've served in law enforcement, you would know this. What's the number one call that police hate to go to? Domestic. Domestic. Just yesterday, some man goes into edible arrangements in Cherville and kills his ex-wife. They've been divorced since 2012. And here we are three years later. And you go and you kill her in a brutal fashion. You tell me that these things have not been sinfully distorted. When we as human beings fell into sin, it is felt perhaps most painfully in family relationship. Nobody can hurt you like those closest to you. Isn't that right? I mean, we can be brokenhearted over distant people, but uh, uh, if your wife or your husband or your children, uh, it's a different kind of pain. When they hurt you. And so sin has distorted these relationships. The other reason, the third reason here that we need to talk about this is because family relationships are spiritually restored. That's the good news. What sin has distorted, God can restore. Somebody ought to get excited about that right now. 
Since the cause of the breakdown of the family is spiritual, the solutions are primarily spiritual. For some, this is Jesus taking hold of your family through salvation. Jesus becomes Lord over the home, and the effect is really a revolution. Now the home has a center, and the marriage has a purpose. And sometimes we forget when we stood before God and these witnesses. When we stood there and we pledged our our vows one to another in a marriage relationship, we forget that we were asking Christ to be the center of our relationship. In every marriage counseling I've ever done, I always bring this point up first and foremost, that you are not ready to get married if you're not ready to have Christ as the center of your relationship. Amen. Because so many people get married and they, they forget that after the honeymoon, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a life to live. After the cer- ceremony, there's a life to live. After that ceremony, there's a, there's, a, there's a life that we go back to and we go back having to understand that we must have something other than our own will. Because as much as I like to think that I know exactly what my wife needs, I don't know better than Christ. <laughs> Amen. As much, ladies, as you like to think, I, this, I've got this man figured out. But the bottom line is that you don't know him like God knows him. Some of y'all ladies remain unconvinced. Yes, I do. I can't tell me I don't know my man. <laughs> If you knew him as well as you think, you wouldn't have this look of surprise when he says something that is so incredibly, uh, uh, just just seemed like it just came from the, the fountain of dumbness. We're not complicated creatures as men. If you ask us, what are we doing? And we say nothing, we mean it. You don't need to say, oh, you're doing something. <laughs> what are you thinking about? Nothing. No, you're thinking about something. We really don't think, we don't have anything on our mind. <laughs> so we're not that complicated. I'm just, <laughs> just threw that in there for free. I just <laughs> so in, we talk about this, that, that Christ has to become the center. And, and, and most people in our, our church today are Christians, so so I asked the question and put that out there as we begin this series. Why is there still so much dysfunction? Now, I know we don't want to admit that. But some of our relationships are teetering. Some of our relationships creep up to that precipice of the abyss. And we, we flirt with that, that falling over the edge. We, we flirt with it in our conversation. We talk about what life would be like without each other. You know, I was doing all right before I met you. I know that's nobody in here. I'm just, I'm just saying. So we, we need to talk about this, this, this marriage ideal and what it means. Now, I want to give a quick word here to the people in here today who aren't married. Because I, I want you to understand, why should you listen to a message about a category of life that just doesn't even apply to you right now? Pastor, come on, let's get on to something else. I don't want to sit here and talk about my unmarried status. I mean, you know, why do I need to listen? Let me tell you this. Single people 
need a good theology of marriage just like married people need a good theology of singleness. See, see, when you get married, sometimes there's this idea that you've reached the pinnacle and that everybody else is below you. And that single people don't have a lot of value in the house of God because we honor marriage. Yes, the Bible honors marriage, but the Bible honors singlehood as well. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says, I wish all y'all was like me and could have time and commit yourself 100% to the Lord. But it's better for some of you to marry. Because you can't live this single life. Not in God's way. <laughs> Amen. And, and so, and so, and so here, here's, here's where God, where, where the Bible honors this, this idea of being single. Single people can commit to God's ministry on a level that married people do not. We have to think about, how's this going to affect my wife? How's this going to affect my husband? I've seen more married people volunteer for things. And after about a week, <laughs> Pastor, I'm going to have to step back a little bit because I'm out the house too much. And, it, and it's understanding. It's understandable that that, that happens. But, but so, so, so I want this, my singles in here to understand that given a good theology of marriage, listen, I gave my daughter a book. She's 23 years old. I gave her a book that said what he must be to marry my daughter. And I want to get that book for every single woman in this church. You should get, get a copy of that book. What he must be, because you need to know what kind of man does God want to put in your life? You know, some guy that sees you getting out your car and start following you is probably not God's man. That's what <laughs> if the first thing out of his mouth is, you know, oh, baby, you look so fine, I can't help myself, yeah. Probably not God's man. <laughs> so we gotta understand that. We understand. So we, we we need to talk about this. So so single people need a good theology of marriage, and married people need a good theology of singlehood. And that's why that's why we talk about this. The Bible honors both categories, and we should do so as well. Now, what is the purpose of marriage? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the purpose of marriage. At some point. In all marriages, one or the other spouse will wake up in the morning and say, really? This is what I signed up for? (laughs) They will look at their slumbering spouse. Usually it's the wife that does this first, you know. Because the snoring of the husband woke her up in the first place. (laughs) And she'll be like, and she'll look at it. Do you understand the noise that's coming out of you? I'm sleeping with a lawnmower. And that'll be your moment where you say, really? This is what I signed up for? And usually they get mad at me at that moment and be like, Pastor, you didn't tell me. <laughs> but what's, but what, what, you know, what's the point? We'll ask that question. What's the point of marriage? And biblically, 
Let me help you understand. There are no pointless marriages. There are only marriages that are missing the point. God made marriage for several points, for several reasons. Let's look at some of these reasons now. The first reason, and, and, and in, in no real kind of, I guess, I guess we could say it's kind of in order, but the, the, the first reason that God made marriage is companionship. Everybody say companionship. Companionship. Watch this now. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone i will make a helper fit for him now underline highlight those last words fit for him i will make a helper fit for him here's something else i'll throw in for free too many times people don't understand and you go out and you try to get a helper fit for somebody else you look at another man's wife and say, that's exactly what I want. And you don't understand that that man's wife is fit for him. And you ought to be praying for God to give you a wife that's fit for you. Okay? Look, at it says a helper fit for him. A suited helper. One designed to fit Adam. God made Eve as the perfect complement to Adam. Now, we tend to think of this only in a physical sense. You know, uh, God made Adam and God made Eve, and, you know, the two, you know, become one flesh, and, and then we think of the physical, that a Adam was so incredibly physically attracted to Eve, and Eve was so incredibly physically attracted to Adam, and we stop right there. And many of our relationships start and end right there on physical attraction. That person looked good to you. They were fine. Fine as frog hair. <laughs> That's right. Now, understand this. Yes. Adam was attracted to Eve, and Eve attracted Adam. They, they complement each other, and, and she suited him well in that way. But it's far deeper than physical attraction. Eve fit Adam in every way. Eve fit Adam emotionally and relationally. And Adam fit Eve emotionally and relationally. Now, this is hard for us to see because both masculinity and femininity have been distorted by sin. So what is masculine and what is feminine has been distorted by sin. Masculinity gets defined as, you know, six foot four, two thirty, and an abs that, you know, you can do your laundry on. Come on, ladies, come on back, come on back, come come on back. Don't 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 hang out there. That's not good for you. <laughs> You know, you know, men, you know, we're not much different. Matter of fact, we may even be worse. You know, when I was growing up in the 70s, you know, there was a song by Lionel Richie called Brick House. Some of y'all remember that. You know, she's our brick, you know, house, you know. Come. 
She's mighty, mighty. Let me come on back. Let me come on back. It's not good for you to go there. But we, we, we look at the feminine form as men and we become attracted to the feminine form and, and that clouds our judgment. If I could think I could get away with it, which I'm sure I can't, <laughs> but I'd hook every man up here to a polygraph and ask the question, was there at least one woman in your life that you were so incredibly physically attracted to that it made you lose your mind. You didn't even think about anything else. You were, you were just lost in her physical beauty and what she meant to you. I knew it was going to get quiet right there. Just, the brothers are like, keep it moving, Beth, keep it moving, keep it moving. But see, you got to understand that that's our distorted view of masculinity and femininity and sin has distorted that view so that when we look at each other, all we see is the physical. Sin distorts what God designs. Marriage by God's design was even better than the best marriage we know. Think about that couple that you saw that might be in their 80s and they're still holding hands and taking walks and sitting on a park bench and talking to one another. Marriage by God's design is even better than that. And I say this with all seriousness. Far too many marriages in the Christian community are not really marriages. They're cohabitations. There's two saved people living together. And it's not much different than shacking up. You just have a covenant vow that you took. But really, you don't really appreciate the fullness of the person that you are married to. You, you, you see, see, as time goes, if your attributes that you were attracted to in that person were all physical. Let me tell you something that's going to change right away. For all the young, fine, pretty folk in here today, whatever's north going to be south. Gravity catches up with all of us, honey. Did I say that as nice as I possibly could? I did. <laughs> And so we understand this dynamic that the physical isn't everything. And if you're only attracted to the physical as years go by, resentment builds. Anger. You mad at me because I don't look as good as I used to. I'm sufficiently in trouble now. But think, but think about this. God has designed something different. So companionship was one of the reasons. Here's another reason. Here's another reason. I want to move fast here. Reproduction. Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's original design for marriage for Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, we are sometimes embarrassed by that reality. This isn't something you hear 
from an engaged couple much. You, you don't have them. When you ask the question, why do you want to get married? They don't say to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. To have children, to fill the earth. They will talk about, oh, we want to do life together. And, you know, in private, they'll talk about sexual fulfillment. And, but God doesn't command them here in this text to have sex. He commands them to fill the earth. Marriage wasn't made for sex. Sex was made for marriage and reproduction. One is the means to the other. And this is where there has been a great distortion in our society. Now, 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 now I, I see where you, I see where you're going here. I see what you, what you're thinking about, right, man? Because what about marriages that do not produce children? And what about intimacy in marriage after the childbearing years? What, what happens then? Let me tell you something. God always honors purpose. The New Testament talks about. Don't deprive one another, but come together so that you won't lead the other person into temptation. And so the New Testament talks about this fulfillment in the union, in the physical union of men and women who are married and to be able to honor those things. So, yes, while the highest purpose of marriage perhaps is to to fill the earth. But as you get older and your childbearing years have passed on, do not worry. God still honors the purpose of the union that you come together and that you fulfill one another so that the other one won't be tempted. Here's another reason why, and I could say a lot more about that, but I'll move on. <laughs> Here's another reason why, why marriage is, is, is so important. Marriage is a parable. It teaches heaven on earth. Ooh. <laughs> oh, I wish you could see some of the faces of married people right now. Heaven on earth. <laughs> you talking about pastor every man in here that's right it's heaven on earth that's right <laughs> ladies giving them the side eye uh-huh. <laughs> but but think about a parable the purpose of a parable is to teach the truths of heaven in a in a by using earthly means to help us understand. Think of how hard it was for Jesus to answer some of the questions he got. Not because he didn't know the answer. When somebody asked him, what is the kingdom of God like? He needed to, under, to explain it in a way we could understand it. He knew exactly what it was like because that's where he lived. <laughs> but he had to explain the glory of God in such a way that we who did not have that experience could understand it you ever had somebody try to tell you about a movie they seen and it's one you plan on seeing but after they get through you like forget it <laughs> so it's a it's it's giving you a true picture of what heaven is like so that's what so so when Jesus was asked those questions, what's the kingdom of God like? What's eternity like? What is love? Those kind of questions. As a son of God, he explained these, he could have explained these divine realities in a way that was so far above our, their heads or their ability to understand. Yet what did he do? He told parables. Parables are often defined 
as earthly stories with heavenly meaning. He would say the kingdom of God is like and then tell a story about a mustard seed or a man building a house on sand. Everyone listening was like, I can understand that. Earthly and accessible, explaining the eternal. That's what he was doing. Marriage is a parable. Marriage is an earthly reality with a heavenly meaning. What does marriage tell us? Here's what marriage tells us. Marriage tells us how Christ loves, serves, and dies for the church. Marriage tells us that. I can tell you emphatically right now 100% that when I got married, nobody told me that. Now, I know some of you men here in that same boat. Anybody in here, just throw your hand up real fast. Nobody said that, that marriage was a, was a parable and that marriage would, would tell you these, these great truths about Christ and how Christ loves and serves and dies for the church. Look at this text. It says, husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, in verse 28, it says in Ephesians 5, in the same way, Husbands should love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated, men underline this, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourish it and cherish it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that this is Paul that it refers to Christ and the church. So here you have this great passage on, on the marital relationship, and Paul says, you all thought I was talking about marriage. I was telling you a parable about Christ and the church. This is arguably the most important section on marriage in the New Testament. And, 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 I, and we could go more into it, but this is, this is like what that is. The parabolic nature of marriage, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed or the kingdom of God is like a marriage. Paul gets through this whole section and he basically says, I'm talking to you about Jesus and the church. And this is why marriage is such an important element in the world today. It demonstrates the essence of the gospel. Now, there are many of you that are befuddled and, and, and profoundly confused right now because you never thought of your marriage as demonstrating the essence of the gospel. There are some of you today that have experienced divorce that would not have experienced divorce if somebody would have explained to you that don't marry somebody that you cannot portray the essence of the gospel with. Hence, let me make it plain. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. How can you portray the essence of the gospel with somebody that doesn't believe the gospel? Now, here's the thing. Don't be unequally yoked with believers who act so much like unbelievers that really the bottom line is they're probably an unbeliever. 
Oh, I knew I wasn't going to get no amens right there. Because you can't portray the essence of the gospel. Bible says two can't walk together unless they agree. So that's what marriage is all about. Now, how does marriage do such a thing? Every truthful married Christian will tell you that they live with a sinner. How many married people here live with a sinner? My wife's hand was like way up. Did y'all see that? I'm, baby, I thought you was going to stand up. I, yes, Lord. I, I know I'm in trouble, Nancy. I'm just saying. But every, 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 every married couple, every married Christian will tell you they live with a sinner. Now, I'm going to bring you back because I'm going to help you here. For every sinner, grace is a necessity. Amen? In order for me to, to, to survive this sin nature, I had to get grace. I could not on my own stop being a sinner. So I had to have the grace of God move into my life through the power of the gospel and set up my life with the power of the Holy Spirit inside me so that I could stop living and pursuing my sin nature. So every sinner, grace is a necessity. Now watch this. Marriage gives the opportunity to live a grace-filled life. We give grace in marriage and we receive grace in marriage. Some days you're giving it and some days you're receiving it. Some days you're giving and receiving. Some hours. <laughs> you see where I'm going here, don't you? You're giving and before that hour's up, you're in need of grace. Hmm? So, so marriage is a way to teach us about the grace of God. So how then is the gospel displayed in marriage? Here it is right here. Each person has their role. Paul says this, husbands lead, or, or, the, or here's a role. Husbands love, lead, and serve their wives like Jesus did. And two passages describe that. Paul says this, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I love my wife, but I want to love her on my own terms. Now, those terms are usually this. As long as she's doing what I think she ought to be doing, she can be the recipient of this great love that I have. Girl, you can have it all. That's what husbands say. If you do what I, if you just do what I tell you to do, you can have all this love. And women are looking like, it ain't that great. I'm just, you need to bring it down a notch or two. It's not, men are ego-driven. We, we think we're better than we are. Just, <laughs> you know, what, what do you mean you, wouldn't, you, you don't want to be with me forever? I mean, the best thing could have happened to you, girl. Come on here, guys. Help me out. I just... <laughs> And women are like, they're telling their girlfriends, so they, child, this man has lost his mind. He, he think I couldn't get nobody but him. I... <laughs> but look at what it says. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
underline that man and gave himself up for her. I can tell you emphatically right now that if your wife, men, if they don't understand that you would literally die for them, you haven't seen the woman that you could see. Seems like a few ladies ought to clap on that one. I just, yeah. If, 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 your girl, if your wife couldn't call her girlfriend and they be talking about marriage and life and say, girl, I know my man would die for me in a heartbeat. He would step in there, take a bullet, whatever he needed to do for me. He would give himself up. Now, watch this. Giving yourself up is not just taking a bullet. You know, that's, that's the one that gets all the glory. <laughs> Abel took a bullet for Sophia. That's, 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 we don't glorify Abel. What a guy Abel is. No. <laughs> you know, but will he give her his last bite of food as they sit there and eat when he's hungry and she's hungry? Will he share out of his plate willingly Now, I admit, that's one I wrestle with. (laughs) When I married my wife, I had no idea, Keith, that her hands would be in my plate. I'm standing there with the fork and the devil saying, just get the hand with the fork. The devil is a lie. I can't stab this woman with a fork. (laughs) We just got married. like it was no problem you know we're sitting there eating and you're newlyweds and all this stuff and she just reached over what are you doing were you not here when the waitress came and said what what do you want to what can i can i take your order you could order this she looked at me and said but i want some of yours Ah, <laughs> so, so some of y'all been there, I could tell. <laughs> so, so giving yourself up for your wife is not just taking the bullet. It's being able to say that all that I have, I will share with you at any time. And I'm not going to do it with attitude. I'm going to do it joyfully. Sad to see a married couple sitting there talking about this is how they eat. Get your own. (laughs) You you get up to go get some ice cream and you don't ask your spouse if they want some ice cream. Your wife, if she wants some ice cream. Oh, I'm coming by your house here in just a minute. Now watch this. Now, so so, so sacrifice is part of your role. Sacrifice is part of your role, giving yourself up. But here's the other part of your role here. For the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. So it's not your place, men, to lead from behind, which is an oxymoron. You cannot lead from behind. You cannot say, and a lot of brothers, we've done it. Oh, my wife runs things. I'm happy. 
well, then you're not being the man that you could be. My wife is running everything. I just let her do it all. That, you out of order. Because your wife is going and talk to her girlfriends and say, I wish my husband would step up and lead. I wish he would lead me because every Christian woman is designed by God to have a covering in her life so that she doesn't have to worry about these things. So the husband's ahead of the wife as Christ is ahead of the church. Now, here, let's look at this next passage because, you know, we have our roles. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you, I told you, of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. First Peter 3. But look at, look at what, what, what he goes on to say. He says, wives, here's the role of the wife. Wives love, serve, and submit to their husband like the church. Now watch this. Watch this. Wives submit to your own husbands. I love the fact that Paul put the word own in there. I'm going to come out here and say this. Ladies, if you submit to your pastor, and not your husband, you are out of order. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, men, before you get too happy, there's a reason why this comes after husbands love your wives. You have the leadership responsibility. That wife, you you don't ask her to submit to foolishness. Don't ask her to submit to you being able to do everything you want to do all night long, you come stumbling in the house, toe up from the floor up, needing a check up from the neck up, and here you say, now submit to me. You make that woman ill to her stomach. I better go back over here where it's safe. But wives, submit to your own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Wives take their pattern from how the church should respond to Jesus' servant leadership. Should the church resent the leadership of Christ? Absolutely not. Stop resenting the leadership of a godly man. Stop being angry because your husband's so godly. Think about that for a minute. When you were single, you prayed, Lord, send me a godly man. He sent you one, now you're mad. I didn't mean this godly. <laughs> you know, he won't even let me cuss around the house. I... Well, asking for somebody that godly, I'm just saying. You know. <laughs> That's what you prayed for. God answered that prayer, and now you're angry. Resenting him. You don't resent the leadership of Christ. Don't resent the leadership of your husband. Watch this now. The church should never usurp the leadership of Christ. Don't let me find you, ladies. Or the Lord find you. 
saying things like, I don't care what my godly husband say. I'm going to do what I want to do. Do you know there are people that have been at a church that does this kind of teaching and have decided rather than do right, they'll leave the church. I'm not going to have a church telling me how to live my life. I'm going to have that pastor up there all in my business. I do what I want with my husband. He better leave me alone. Take care of his own wife. Watch this now. The church, should the church talk bad about Jesus? Absolutely not. Don't talk bad about your husband. You're on the phone with your girlfriends and every negative trait your husband have, your girlfriends know. Now, I'm going to throw this in for free. More than once in human history, some women have talked themselves out of a good man to a girlfriend that picked up where she left off. That, that has happened. <laughs> you know, what you, what, you thought, what you thought was no good, somebody else was taking notes. I could live with that. <laughs> that ain't so bad. <laughs> This girl crazy. <laughs> you know. So so don't don't talk. Look. Ladies, and I say this with all love. Men are simple. Don't nag your husband. Now, I know you dress it up like I just have to remind him. You don't count that as nagging. I, I'm just reminding you for the 700th time this week. <laughs> I, I'm just, I, I have to tell you so I make sure you get it over and over again. And we as men, a lot of times we just take it and we just listen. And in our minds we're saying, did she not think I understand English? Just because I haven't done it doesn't mean that I won't. Now, men, now at the same time, we have to be men of our word. If you say you're going to do it, here's what I'm, here's what I'm trying to do. You know, if I say I'm going to do something, I need to put an end date on it. Or if it's indefinite, I need to say so. This will happen sometimes before I go back to meet Jesus. <laughs> that way, <laughs> right? <laughs> that way there's no... No unrealistic expectations. <laughs> you know, you uh, he's going to do it before he go to meet the Lord. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's his intention. <laughs> so, so you just need to be honest. <laughs> that cuts some of that nagging out. That's right. Now, now look, look, the church doesn't fantasize about having a different Savior. Ladies, don't fantasize about having a different husband. Oh, it got real quiet on that one. You're not going to be married to Brad Pitt. Mark Wahlberg is unavailable. Idris Elba, you can't have him either. You're just not going, not going to happen. So understand, don't, look, as a Christian, I don't fantasize about Jesus is good. That's enough for me. Amen? Isn't he enough? Together, 
a husband and wife purpose to show the gospel. And I'll end with this. They do so in this way. In covenant, which is the permanent of God's love, the permanence of his love. In grace, the freedom of God's forgiveness. And in love, the joy of God's selflessness. Now that is what a Christian marriage ought to be. And I'm going to leave you with this one question today for all the married couples in here, all the believing Christian couples in here. If someone looked at your marriage based on how your marriage publicly operates, would they be led to Christ Jesus? And if your answer is no, then go back together and pray and ask God for you to have the, the, the strength and the desire to make your marriage a visible expression of the gospel so that people can see how you love, how you covenant, how you give grace to one another, how you forgive and know that the gospel must be true. That should be your prayer. Amen. God bless you today. Let's stand on our feet all over the room. I want you to to consider very strongly what God's design for marriage really is. And I hope our single people in here today feel helped and blessed to know that maybe you've been divorced and, and you're considering remarriage, but this time understand what it's really about. God, I don't want a husband because I'm lonely. I don't want a wife because I'm lonely. I want a husband and a wife so I could show the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I could be that living parable to show a heavenly truth of salvation to this world in my relationship.